For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And a good scheduling day morning, football fans, specifically you Eagle fans. It is Birds 365 with the Mac and Mac guys. Yours truly, Jody McDonald, and my partner, John McMullen, who seems... Am, am I noticing a smile on your face this morning, McMullen? Are you all geeked up, ready to uh, break down the Eagles' schedule when it comes out? Uh, oh, you Jack? know it, Jody. It's a win. It's a loss day for me. I'm really excited to talk about how this team is going to go 10 and 7, 7 and 10. I got to I got to do the math. Here's the right. math again. 17 games, not 16 games. We're going to get uh week 1 schedule early this morning. It's going to be given out to all the NFL's partners, uh, you know, Fox, CBS, all all those types of morning shows, but so we should have news on that relatively quickly. But here at Jacob Media, it's Devontae Smith Jersey Day. That's true. Uh later today during the actual presentation of it, um, supposed to start about eight o'clock tonight, which, as John just noted, uh, week one should be well released before that. Uh, but both ESPN and the NFL Network are going to have shows dedicated to just revealing everyone's schedule in the National Football League. Should be fun just from a fan standpoint. But that's right, right here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. We'll be giving away a ton of Devontae Adams jerseys. So uh, you want to be, uh, you want to at least have us on in the background, logged in to our hey, YouTube Jody, channel. Jody, real quick, let me break in. It's official. Eagles open the 2021 season on the road, September 12th in Atlanta against the Falcons. Against the Falcons. Okay, there, there's added information to that. I did not know that. Thank you, Johnny, for uh, grabbing that. We knew it was going to be somewhere near 8 o'clock. Dammers, right near the top of the hour. Um, the Falcons are playing a game in London this year. Mm -hmm. And it was reported last night that it would not be against any of their divisional opponents. So it was going to be a Falcons home game. So you, all you had to do was look up and see who the Falcons were playing at home this year, not within their division. One of those teams was the Eagles. Yeah. So there was an outside chance that the Eagles could have been a London game this year. If we know they're playing the Falcons week one, week one's not going to be in London. That's for sure. No, no, no. So uh, we know for a fact the Eagles are not going abroad this year, but they are going to Atlanta week number one, huh? Yeah, little surprise. You and I thought it would be the New York Giants, perhaps. You know, they like to start early in the division, late in the division. It was Washington last year. You know you, they're not going to waste Dallas at 1 o'clock, so that leaves the Giants. But it didn't turn out to be that way. You know, let's be honest. I mean, the Eagles are coming off a bad season, so it's not that typical marquee-type window for the Philadelphia Eagles right now. So I think that plays into it as well. Yeah, this one will be a Sunday at 1 on Fox, guaranteed game, since it yeah. is an in-conference uh, game. Uh, that's that's what time you will be tuned for your first Eagle action. 
And they did uh, uh, at least speculate last night. Uh, writer for the New York Post said Giants-Eagles would not be week number one because the Giants are opening up against the Broncos at home, at MetLife Stadium. Giants opening at home. And the question is, will it be the Aaron Rodgers-led Broncos going into MetLife Stadium week number one? If that's the case, guarantee it's a 4 o'clock game and it's a uh, primetime uh, late afternoon national broadcast. Uh, Or it could be the Drew Locke-led Broncos. Or it could be the Teddy Bridgewater-led Broncos. I got a Teddy Bridgewater thing I want to bring up with you a little bit later. Um, But the Post also speculated that the Giants and Eagles game in new york this year you and i thought the game would be here in philadelphia week number one swing and a miss for both mcdonald and mcmullen on that one since they're playing atlanta but the falcons uh, excuse me the giants and eagles will be playing in new york week 12 which is the sunday of thanksgiving weekend so that long weekend finish it up with the eagles and giants no love lost between these two franchises in week number 12 and we'll find out later today when the Giants are coming down here to fill it up. Yeah, by the way, a little closed-circuit Jody McDonald news. The Zach Wilson era begins in Carolina against Sam Darnold. Oh, you, oh, that's right. That's Sammy D. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, that's ah, big news. That's, that that's, is big news for you. That That is some technical scheduling. I give the NFL credit because uh, you're looking really hard to come up with narratives for uh, the Panthers and the Jets. It's <laughs> not, not exactly the uh, Bucks and the Chiefs there. Um, so that's smart, getting those two teams to face off week number one. I like it. Uh, that means I'll be recording one and watching the other when uh, both of those games are now, which, which one? Which is which? <laughs> Uh, That's I a have, tough one. I know you have to admit you're going to watch the Eagles, but there's going to be an eye on that Jets Panthers. Oh, game. well, well no, like I said, I will certainly be recording it and uh, being able to go back and watch it. But I'm on the air here every day with Birds 365 and more often on WIP than WFAN. So, yes, the Jets will have to take a wait and we'll get to you later on in the afternoon or uh, first thing Monday morning to be able to go back and uh, see that one. But, yes, all of the week ones, if we get any other games that we think are of interest in week number one, we'll pass them along. But the Falcons, which means Kyle Pitts, the Philly kid who uh, a lot of people were hoping could be the next star tight end of the Philadelphia Eagles. When the Eagles had the sixth pick, it was a possibility. When they traded down to the 12th pick, we we knew it had gone by the boards. When they moved back up to number 10, by that point, Kyle Pitts was well off the board. Fourth player taken, highest tight end taken in the history of the National Football League, Philly kid. He can make good in Atlanta, starting week two in his career, because we don't need him going out and catching two touchdowns. Well, he he might have to against that secondary. We'll see. A lot of speculation about Julio Jones as well, where he will be if he'll be in Atlanta. I think ultimately will be. So, we're talking about that Eagles secondary, Jody. That is a tough, tough matchup week one. you got a veteran quarterback. He throws it all over the yard. Yeah, Julio Jones. You mentioned Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley. A lot of big-time receivers, a lot of big-time weapons. And all of a sudden, you look at that Eagles secondary and say, oh, who's going to be that outside corner? Is that going to be Zach McPherson? 
Howie might be on the phone right now just from week one schedule. We talked about rookie camp being something. Let's get on the phone. Let's get somebody to cover these guys. Yes, uh, and a lot of times, you know, it's safety coverage on the tight end. Uh, don't know how often they're going to split pits out. Will he stay in line? Somebody's got to cover him. I don't know if it's going to be an eagle backer or an eagle safety, but somebody is actually going to get that assignment. It could be tricky week one. Uh, since we're talking Falcons, and that is their week one matchup, um, they split ways with Todd Gurley this offseason. I guess there's still some conversation that uh, there could be a uh, reuniting, but uh, it seems like the Falcons have decided to go in another direction. They didn't draft the back this year, which surprised me a little bit. Uh, you mentioned how the Eagles on paper right now look like a team that might have a tough time studying, uh, shutting down a prolific passing game. Uh, you think the Falcons under their new head coach are going to throw it, what, Matty Ryan, about 40 times a game? for this Yeah, well, I mean, that's where the NFL is going, and we'll talk about that a little bit later with Mike Quick and the Eagles upgrades at the wide receiver position. But, yeah, I mean, Atlanta is ready-made. You know, they arguably have, have – the best group of receivers in the NFL, if you're going to talk about Kyle Pitts hitting the ground running and you're going to talk about him being a glorified sort of X receiver, just a, a king size receiver that you got to pay a little bit less money. We talked about that long term if you want to label him uh, a tight end. But they're really good uh, throwing the football. And as you mentioned, I mean, right now, uh, I believe Mike Davis would be their starting running back. So, right. I, I mean, they're not exactly equipped to run the football. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to throw it all over the yard. No question. So the Eagles better get ready for it week number one. And uh, though we have not seen the new Eagle offense over under new old coach Nick Sirianni, the other team's going to be scoring a bunch of points. The Eagles are going to have to answer. They're going to have to try and match those points that the other teams are potentially scoring against their D which means Jalen Hurts is going to get a chance to throw it all over the lot. Jalen Hurts, uh, my partner, John McMullen's favorite quarterback in the National Football Boy, I don't know how I got that tag. I, I got to tell you, Jody, that one bothers me a little bit because I like Jalen Hurts personally. I think he's a good kid, good work ethic. I do want to bring up, uh, because it is scheduled day, I, I want to bring up the national games because I have them. So okay. week one box, the 425 games – are going to be the Broncos at the Giants uh, and the Packers at the Saints. Uh, the bigger games are on CBS, the which, late games. Which, all the, before you get to CBS, that's Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Rodgers. Which, yeah. which, which game point. is he playing in? Is he going to be the Bronco quarterback playing against the Giants or still uh, with the Green Bay Packers? So you know you're getting Aaron Rodgers one way or the other. Good point. Good point. Uh, and that makes, by the way, one of those games really interesting and probably one less so. Uh, also, that Packers Saints, I mean, the Saints, no Drew Brees. So that that alone is interesting. But the CBS games are really, to me, the more high-profile games. You have Cleveland at Kansas City, and, and those, I think, are two significant contenders on the AFC side or will be obviously from Kansas City's perspective. And then Miami and Brian Flores against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Ooh. That's a 4 o'clock game, huh? Yeah, that is the 425, the two 425 games on CBS. 
And that's funny because these are almost two new franchises. Miami becoming a contender with Tua Tungabaloa, not knowing yet Cam Newton. Week one, you know Cam Newton's going to start. You're going to want to get back to see the Patriots later in the season to see if Mac Jones has been elevated by week eight, week 10, week 12, not at all. Week four, I doubt that. I think Cam's going to be in there for a while. But that's that's interesting. Is that in New England or in Miami? Uh, New England. Uh, so it's Miami at New England, which is probably helpful, helpful for them because, you know, if you're Miami, you don't want to go to Foxborough in December. So that, that probably works out uh, pretty well for them, ex- I would ex- imagine. Exactly what I was going to say. I think Miami's lost – Maybe they snuck one and stole one in the last two years. But over the last 20-some-odd years, they're like 2-18 and 18 in New England. Well, well my, you know, part of that has to do with they weren't winning many Yeah, they weren't winning and New England wasn't losing. Yeah. But they usually do schedule that game sometime post-Thanksgiving. And, yes, the Dolphins don't travel all that well to the Northeast if we're talking about the month of December. So, yeah, if you gotta, you got to play New England at some point, might as well play them early uh, in the season when you've got chance for good weather up there in New England. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that to me is the most important part of the schedule. You know, when we talk about the full schedule being released, you want to look at, you, do you have a three-game road trip somewhere in there? Are you going to a difficult environment like Foxborough or Green Bay in December versus early in the season? Yeah, Philadelphia, too. Teams don't want to travel here later in the season. And and maybe the biggest advantage for the Eagles already happened yesterday, and that's, you know, Lincoln Financial Field is going to be full this season. Correct. Uh, we've got about a month there, jacking it up to 50% for games, Phillies, uh, Sixers, Flyers. But within uh, a month from now, they are expecting 100% capacity across the board for all venues. And the Eagles certainly don't get their season underway for more than a month. So they're going to play the full fields uh, every single week this year, unless there is some kind of massive reoccurrence of the coronavirus, which we certainly don't believe is going to happen. Certainly hope uh, it doesn't happen. Um, you're right. That is a, a big piece of the puzzle for the Eagles and the Eagles fans who get to go back full leather lungs for this upcoming season. Um, what do you think ticket sales are going to be like? Because I know the teams have specifically been slow in ticket sales. They didn't really have a choice because you didn't know how many tickets you were going to be capable of selling. Now we know as of yesterday that, yes, it's going to be 100 uh, percent. Do you think the Eagle fan base is rocking and ready to roll this season with a uh, first time starting QB starting and starting the season, not starting a game and a brand new head coach. Do you think uh ticket uh, will be at a uh, prime moving spot for this upcoming season? Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any problem, especially coming off last season with this place being full and rocking. I think, you know, later in the season, if things go poorly, and by the way, I don't think they are going to go poorly for a number of reasons, or at least as poorly as expected. And one of them is, all of a sudden, Philadelphia is going to be a difficult place to play again. It's not going to be an antiseptic $2 billion TV studio, essentially what it was last year. I mentioned that yesterday on the show. Places like New Orleans, Seattle, Kansas City, Minnesota, Philadelphia, 
I think they were most hurt by no fans in the stands because those are the loudest, most difficult places to play in this league. A couple others I probably missed, but those are the majority of them. Um, it's big for the Eagles. So that's going to help them be a little bit better than people expect. I think you do get a little influx of energy uh, from the new coaching staff. I think that helps a little bit. Uh, and then the offensive line, we always talk. If those, guys, if those guys are out there, this is a better football team. But um, all that wrapped into one means the Eagles are going to do a little bit better than people expect. However, yeah, I mean, if you're a really bad football team late in the season, doesn't matter where you are. Those tickets will be sold because it's Philadelphia. But people will not be showing up to watch a four-win football team. There will be serious empty seats. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. Nor do I as of right now. And, yes, by the time uh, we determine whether the Eagles are having a good season, a competitive season, a rebuilding season, another god-awful season like last year, by that point, yes, I think we will have put the coronavirus that much more in our uh, rearview mirror, and people will not be going to the games if they're not going, eating the tickets, or not being able, able to sell the tickets in the secondary market because the football just is not something, not because anyone will be afraid to go down to Lincoln Financial Field. But as of yesterday, it's going to be a packed house. At least it can be. We'll certainly be able to see if that is the case. All right. Uh, we will talk plenty about the upcoming Eagle offensive season. We expect it to be improved in part because the quarterback play should be better. Sorry, Carson Wentz. You were not good last year. But also a major upgrade at the wide receiver position. Devonta Smith taken at number 10 in the draft by the Philadelphia Eagles coming in to, I think, move right to the top of the wide receiver chart. Our next guest is a guy who's going to join us and speak to that. He was the last Philadelphia Eagle wide receiver, homegrown, I mean by that, drafted by the Birds to achieve all-pro status. And it's been a while, folks. Uh, the voice of the Eagles on the radio side, analyst Mike Quick, all-time Eagle great wide receiver, scheduled to join us. Coming up next, right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Good day, everyone. It's Krause of Jacob Media. Why am I wearing a Carson Wentz NFC East Pro Bowl jersey? Well, it's the only jersey I will not be able to give away this season, but we will be giving away 10 Devontae Smith jerseys at our 2021 NFL schedule release Special broadcast, all presented by Pure Bull. The broadcast will be Wednesday night, 8 p.m. to midnight. You must be subscribed. You must be present to win. And we'll give away 10 Devontae Smith jerseys. Also, as we get closer to the season, tickets for every single game on the schedule, both home and away, plus our bus trip and experiences for fans that you will never find anywhere else all part of the jacob media network see you next time everybody welcome to the wildwoods the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all catch a wave take a nap go for a drive grab a bite 
It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. At the NFL schedule day. Birch fans, John Birch 365, the Mac and Mac guys, uh, McDonald and McMullen. Uh, we're waiting on our uh, first guest of the day, Eagles all-time great wide receiver and the man sharing the booth with Merrill Reese for <coughs> years now. Mike Quick uh, is supposed to hop aboard, but as soon as he does, we will punch him up. Um, it is the release day of the NFL schedule. Week one has already come out later tonight. Uh, will be the entire NFL schedule and right here. On the Jacob uh, Media channel, uh, we'll be giving away Devonta Smith jerseys. So you want to be tuned here tonight, 8 o'clock. You've got to be a subscriber, and you've got to be present to be able to win one of those 10 Devonta Smith jerseys that we're giving away here tonight. Uh, what it reminds me of, Jay Mack, is this is like, and now I know for both of us, our illustrious producer, Xander, just got out of high school about 20 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> but it's been a while for both you and I. It's like when you find out your schedule for your upcoming year in high school. You know what classes you're getting, but you don't know which is going to be first period, which is going to be right before lunch, which is going to be after lunch, which is going to be after a study hall. Andy Reid, by the way, very good after study hall. He almost seems to win every single class after study hall. And which is your final class before you can get out the door. That's the kind of day that this is. Putting it in a proper perspective as to what you're looking forward to, what you're going to be able yep. to see over the next uh, 18 weeks. And they're going to get the syllabus, too. The young players, at least, uh, are going to get the syllabus of rookie camp this weekend. So that's going to be exciting as well. And we have Mike Quick. Mike Quick hey. in the house. What's up, guys? How you doing, Mike? Fantastic. Jody Mack, do me a favor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you, I do you a favor. Eagles Falcons, week number one down in Atlanta. Is that a good game for the Eagles to be opening with, Mike Quick? I think it's a good start. Um, I'd like to see them at home on the very first game, but um, yeah, I like that as a start. So that's confirmed. 
Yeah, that's confirmed. Oh. Week one, Eagles uh, will be going to Atlanta, Mike. Uh, the full schedule will be announced uh, tonight, obviously, at 8 o'clock. Right. But I did, you know, bigger news to me yesterday, and, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this right off the bat, because you and Merrill went through this weird season like all of us with the pandemic. Yep. No fans in the stadium, very few fans for a couple games, but for the most part, no fans. Now we know Lincoln Financial Field is going to be full uh, for for it won't be week one, but week two, most likely the NFL season. How exciting is that going to be for you and Merrill to get that environment back? Never mind the team. And I, I just think it's the way the game is meant to be played. You need spectators. And yeah, we dealt with something uh, the last season that we've never experienced in our lifetime. Uh, and it was such a strange thing ordeal to go through you know you go to the stadium and absolutely nobody there it really felt like a, a high-end scrimmage you know some <laughs> of the scrimmage games that we've witnessed in past years where teams go and visit other teams and uh, that's really what it felt like with no with no fans and um and then the network's piping in sound yeah <laughs> to make it appear as if fans are in the seats but you know you deal with what you have to deal with and, and i think the radio station and everybody, the Eagles and everyone involved did an outstanding job of both protecting us and putting out the quality of broadcast that we've had over a number of years. You guys did a great job, eh, a little bit better than the team did on the field at four <laughs> and 11 and one. So we tip our hat to you guys. Um, uh, how much difference do you think it made for the players, Mike? I know you get a chance to talk to these guys, not every day, not like you usually do because right. of the pandemic, but you get a chance to at least hear what the players are saying, maybe third and uh, maybe to another party. How much do you think it affected all the players and or the Eagles in specific playing in front of an empty Lincoln financial field, which is exactly the opposite of what they're used to? There is no question that it affected the players in similar in a similar fashion as it did us as broadcasters. They're just used to that energy. There's nothing that can replace the juice and energy of a stadium filled with fans and especially Eagles fans because they're just different. They bring it. They make for for players on the field, it gives you that extra energy. It gives you that extra <clears> boost <throat> when you need a lift you can get it from the fans in in those stands. And by the way, if you're not playing well, you're going to hear that too. <laughs> <laughs> Which they were not playing well last season for Correct. long stretches, Mike. And I do want to, obviously, you were a great receiver with this team. So I want to talk to you about that preseason uh, position first. Yep. You know, in a modern environment, Mike, it's two consecutive seasons where – this team hasn't had a receiver with over 600 yards uh, receiving. I think you could do that. If you stayed healthy, you could go out and get over 600. How important is it to have Devontae Smith to add some juice to this offense, the Heisman Trophy winner from Alabama? You know, if you look at the league now and the way uh, the NFL is going, it's really like fast break basketball. It's getting up and down the field, and it's – and it really starts with having a wide receiver, having talent on the outside that can beat defensive backs, that can beat any type of coverage in the secondary and put up points. That's kind of what the league is going to. And even if you look at the 
the way that they've taken away a lot of the things that the defensive backs can do. I think it's just an effort to have more scoring in the game, more excitement in the game in terms of scoring. And you have to have quality wide receivers. You have to have blue chip wide receivers because, you know, they're drafting and finding these guys that are so talented on the back end to stop you. Uh, that's what, that's what you have to have. And I'm, I'm happy to, uh, that they made that selection. And now if you look at the receiver room, it's probably one of the strongest positions on the football team. You know, with, with Jalen Rager last year, uh, Hightower, you know, the guys that they have, and, and Devontae certainly comes in with, with the pedigree to be right away an asset and a guy who can add a lot to that position. I think they're going to be in pretty good shape there. I'd say they got a lot of potential in that wide receiver room. Still yes. got to go out there and prove it. Um, I, I want to ask you to compare uh, Devonta Smith to a guy who you should know quite well by the name of Mike Quick. Um, when you first came into the National mm -hmm. Football League, you weren't a <laughs> Megatron, a guy who was going to go out and physically dominate and just be able to jump over everybody. You weren't Bullet Bob Hayes running a 4 40 you were just a quality wide receiver and took in all aspects of the game, a little physicality, a yeah. little speed, great route runner, good hands. That's what I see Devonta Smith as. That's why I've compared him to Mike Quick, the last all-pro wide receiver the Eagles actually drafted and developed. Do you see any of your game in his game? I absolutely see, Jody, what you see. He's extremely talented as a route runner. Um, catches the ball really well. One of the things that, that I was really impressed with when I put on the tape, because I, I wanted to look at the top receivers that were coming out. When I watched him, a guy at only 170 pounds, catch the ball in traffic, catch the ball over the middle. And even when he took a shot, you didn't see him shy away at all. You didn't see any hesitancy. When a guy plays that way, that fearless way that he plays, I have a lot of respect for that. And for a guy to catch 117 balls in the SEC, I've got a lot of respect for that because you're playing against the best of the best at that level, and you're still able to dominate at 170 pounds. Now, Mike, I, I do want to play a little devil's advocate because you played, uh, I'm guessing, six, you're 6'2", 190-ish maybe? Yes. Um, a what you know 190 to 166 that's what Devonte uh, weighed in as and yeah. you mentioned the concern for me from the outside looking in is what you just said he plays like he's 190 200 pounds he plays in a fearless fashion yep um could that hurt because he isn't 190 200 yep. pounds right but if you look at the history he's not a guy that's been injured very much um, he's fearless, but he's also smart. He understands defenses and he has the awareness to make sure that he gets down and he doesn't suffer those big hits. You rarely saw him take a big hit throughout his entire career. And one of the you know, I love the scouts that go out and time these guys and measure their hands and their arms. And of course the weight and speed, all that stuff. Um, but the biggest measurement I think is in his chest. And I think there is there lies the difference between he and a lot of players. I just think he's 
Um, you know, a lot of coaches and players, they, they talk about he's got that dog in him. Well, this is a little guy uh, that's got a big dog in him. We'll see if that dog is ready to bark week one against the Atlanta Falcons. I, you mentioned the room, and you think that could actually be a position of strength for the Eagles this year if some of the receivers already on the roster is very young, step yep. up, take that step up this year. So let me touch on a couple of guys, and you tell me, like a Travis Fulgham, like a J.J. Uh, Arcega Whiteside, who has been a disappointment so far, like a Hightower, maybe even a Quez Watkins. Out of that group, which one do you think is most likely? If uh, Smith's going to do what Smith's going to do, and we believe that Rager is going to have a better sophomore season than his freshman year, out of the others, yeah. which one do you think is most likely to be the number three receiver on this team? So that that's a tough one, Jody. Uh, I, when I look at Hightower, I see a really polished wide receiver, can run all of the routes, has tremendous speed. Um, I, I think he has to grow up some. I, I think he has to mature a lot to play at this level. Quest Watkins, not as polished as a receiver, but with the ball in his hands, he's probably as good as anybody on the roster. Um these are the two guys that I'll, play, I'll pay particular attention to because I think they can add a lot to this receiving room, to this football team in terms of production. I think Quez is, you know, we saw him on just a couple of plays last year. Saw him on a, when they got it to him quickly and he blazed by the entire secondary, entire defense to score a touchdown. Um, I think he has a lot. If Hightower grows up, you're going to have three tremendous receivers. Um, and I think Quez is a guy that's more likely going to be in the slot and do a lot of the gadget stuff uh, after Jalen Rager. But Hightower, to me, can do it all. He, he, to me, has the most potential to take off and be that next guy. Interesting. Mike, I, I want to shift gears with you a little bit because you had your charity golf tournament uh, Doug Peterson was back in Philadelphia. I think yep. we all uh, were disappointed how that ended. We all know what kind of guy Doug is. Uh, curious if you got to catch up with him. And then the new coach, I want your first impressions on Nick Sirianni, the energy he's bringing to this building, this organization. So, um, Doug, I was just so happy to see him back in in the area and he was so excited. <laughs> yeah. I had my, my golf event yesterday and a lot of guys come out to support it. But when I talked to Doug, he didn't even hesitate. He said, yeah, I'll be happy to fly up. And, um, and he was great. And I'm sure, well, I know a lot of the news stations got a chance to talk to him. Um, he seemed to be so relieved right now and so at peace and comfortable with what he's doing, which is just playing golf and fishing. <laughs> and, and he's happy yeah. there um but seems to be doing really well and i was it was a lot of fun to catch up with him um what was the second part of that John? nick nick what your oh, thoughts nick. yeah your uh, your early thoughts on nick so early thoughts you could see how nervous nick is coming into the position that he is um but i think that's been true for everybody when you elevate and you get to a new position when you're not yet comfortable, um, you kind of look like a fish out of water a little bit. But the guy has 
a lot of football knowledge. I'll start with that. Uh, he grew up around the game, his father, his brothers. Um, he's been in some of the best systems to learn football um, for any coach that's going to coach this game. As he gets comfortable in his skin as a head coach in the NFL, I think he's just going to continue to grow. But the football knowledge and the energy that he brings, a major asset to this football team. He got a lot of young players on this team that he'll be able to relate to. And as these older guys get to know him and get to understand the knowledge that he brings, they will they will gravitate to him. And I, I think, you know, you never know how a coach is going to mature and grow into his shoes. But when Doug Peterson was hired, I was really shocked and didn't think that Doug could do the job. A couple of years later, he gives the Eagles the first Super Bowl they've ever had. So, and I'll take it back even a step further. When Jeffrey Lurie hired Andy Reid, who knew Andy Reid? Yeah. I didn't know Andy Reid, but Andy Reid turns out to be one of the best coaches that ever coached in Philadelphia. So I will give Nick Sirianni the benefit of the doubt because I know he's a football guy. And I think as he grows into his shoes as a professional head coach, I think we'll be pleased with him. Mike, let me ask you to put your former player hat on here. I want to follow up on John's question about not only the head coach, but the coaching staff. You went through coaching changes when yep. you were a player. Granted, the NFL's a little different in 2021 than during your playing days, but how long does it take a player to get comfortable? I'm not talking about the rookies, but yep. someone who's here in Philadelphia last year, played under Doug Peterson. Some go back to the Super Bowl wins, some just the last couple of years. How much time does it take for the players and the new coaching staff to get ingratiated with each other, that they're all on the same page, ready to go get a season started? Can it be done in one preseason? No. <laughs> That's my short answer. But um, I think it can and will be done, but it does take time. The coaches have to understand players, who, who you are as a player, um, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. You've got to know the people. And, you know, Dick Vermeil always had this saying, you know, players don't know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Now, when they see the sincerity from Nick Sirianni, when they see the, what he's willing to give and put in as a head coach, then all of those relationships will start to grow. But until you know that, until you see that, you're just kind of getting to know one another. So they'll have to go through that process. You know, you don't know. Like when Jim Johnson first took on Brian Dawkins, he didn't know all the things that Dawkins could do. And so once he started to utilize Dawkins and understand Dawkins, and he could do so many things with him because he knew that Dawkins would make certain plays, that he, he knew that against certain teams, if I plug Dawkins in right here, He's going to be very disruptive. That takes a little bit of time and knowing those people, the players, before you can get to that. And so with all of these guys, it takes a, it take, it's going to take a little bit of time to know these receivers and know what they can do and the matchups that you're going to have the most success with them. But I do believe that uh, you've got a lot of young, smart coaches on this staff that they'll figure it out.
Mike, last one from me. I want to follow up on that because the rookies are coming in today. Yes. Uh, they're going to have rookie camp starting on Friday. Uh, I'm curious how how much things have changed from the time that you broke into this league when it comes to off-season work because, you know, you were a, a two-time All-Pro, a five-time Pro Bowl selection. You just mentioned it's hard to get up to speed. The, the environment today, they don't have as much time, the coaches, to work with young players. How difficult it, has it become, and how yeah. much has it changed? It's changed a whole lot, John. And if you talk old school, the old school guys would think that, you know, they would be handicapped in the system now, where the collective bargaining agreement limits the time that you could have guys on the field, uh, limits the offseason training. Um, but I think it's a smarter way of doing things. I think without all the collisions that we had in those training camps where you had double day practices, all in pads, hitting both practices, uh, where you really break guys down during that four weeks, six weeks training camp. And then you have to try and make, uh, allow your body to come back. And it, sometimes it would take you three weeks during the regular season before you really felt like somebody because the training camps beat you up so much. I think the way they do it now where you do where there's more of a skull of skull sessions where you're learning more, where you're running around in shorts and a helmet, you don't really know you don't know enough about the football player um, when he's under stress in those situations, but you do get to learn a lot of football in those situations. It's a lot different than it was back when. Mike, as a former All-Pro wide receiver, you can judge quarterbacks with absolutely anybody. We got a three-plus game look at Jalen Hurts last year when he replaced Carson Wentz. Yeah. To you, what is Jalen Hurts' biggest strength, and what is the game that what is the part of his game that he most needs to upgrade going into this season as the man here in Philadelphia? I think any young quarterback, Jody, they, they see so many things from the other side, on the other side of the ball, on the defensive side. You have to learn how to anticipate what they're doing. Uh, and that only comes from studying and, and the experience and being able to counter what they're doing on the defensive side by putting the ball in the right places. He has to learn to be a better quarterback from the pocket. I think it's one of his biggest assets is – his ability to make plays when there's nothing there, his ability to improvise um, when you have to make a play because the play breaks down be it because of the offensive line or your number one or number two target is not open and you've got to improvise. I think that's certainly one of his biggest assets. But in this game, if you're going to really be successful, you have to have both. You have to have the ability to move around and not necessarily run, but moving to avoid hits in the pocket and still making plays down the field. But then when all else fails, that ability to run with the football, and he, he has shown that. Fair enough. Mike, uh, last one, Quickie. Who shot lower on Monday, you or Merrill? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I would say Merrill because 
I didn't keep score. I just kept <laughs> Good for you. That's why I didn't ask about Doug, because we know he's taking his golfing thing very yeah. seriously yeah. these days. So I would uh, I would have certainly gotten a bunch of strokes for him if I was playing against him. But I figured you and Merrill had a little handshake agreement on who shot lower. Uh, Mike, we appreciate you coming on with us today. We'll tap into you every once in a blue moon. Hopefully you can join us here on Birds 365. Enjoy uh, watching the schedule revealed tonight and get ready to call Eagle games in front of crowded stadiums this year, buddy. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike. That is Mike Quick, uh, radio analyst for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, one of the best guys here in town, and gave us some straightforward answers, some interesting answers. I want to yeah. follow up on his uh, comment about the Eagle wide receiver room, which I when we come back. Take a quick time out. We'll come back to Mac and Mac guys, McMullen and McDonald here with you on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Good day, everyone. It's Krause of Jacob Media. Why am I wearing a Carson Wentz NFC East Pro Bowl jersey? Well, it's the only jersey I will not be able to give away this season but we will be giving away 10 Devontae Smith jerseys at our 2021 NFL schedule release special broadcast, all presented by Pure Bull. The broadcast will be Wednesday night, 8 p.m. to midnight. You must be subscribed. You must be present to win. And we'll give away 10 Devontae Smith jerseys. Also, as we get closer to the season, tickets for every single game on the schedule both home and away, plus our bus trip and experiences for fans that you will never find anywhere else. All part of Jacob Media Network. See you next time, everybody. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Jody Mag. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network.
we truly do appreciate you tuning in here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Mac and Mac guys with Birds 365. You best be back here tonight for the stadium, excuse me, the schedule reveal show starting at 8 o'clock because over the course of tonight's show, while they reveal all the games, all 17 Eagles are playing. We know week one is down in Atlanta against the Falcons. Over the course of the show tonight, they will be giving away 10, count them, 10 Devonta Smith jerseys, the hopeful new outside star of the Philadelphia Eagles. You get a chance to get your jersey bright and early. You can win it right here tonight on the Jacob uh, Sports Media channel. Must be a subscriber, must be tuned tonight to win the jersey. So uh, make sure that you at least check in with us tonight on schedule reveal night. Uh, we had Mike Quick on just a couple of minutes ago for those of you just tuned in. And I asked Mike specifically about the wide receiver room because he led us down that path, uh, John, by saying yeah. it is a strength of the Philadelphia Eagles. Mike should know better than me, but I watched the Eagles play all last year, and I would say it's a potential strength for the Philadelphia Eagles. Basically, everyone in that room has got something to prove coming into the year. They do not have a given in that room, it is all about youth and potential. Uh, do you think Mike maybe gilded the lily a little bit for us there? Yeah, I mean, you got to be honest about it. The question I asked Mike was, I mean, this team in this environment uh, has gone two consecutive seasons without having any wide receivers over 600 yards. I mean, that's astonishing, Jody. That is almost impossible to do. So what the word you use is a good word, potential, because now you have Devontae Smith, uh, who's a high-level uh, potential wide receiver. All of a sudden, you know, things might click from there because you have a true wide receiver one, so to speak, and maybe Jalen Rager fits in nicely as that second receiver who's not going to see double coverage. Uh, so that's going to open up some things with him. And the dominoes start to fall, whether it's Travis Fulgham or J.J. Ortega-Whiteside or John Hightower. I was really uh, interested to hear Mike talk about John Hightower because I haven't seen that, to be honest, from John Hightower. He can run. Uh, he can run by people. A um, couple times he was open deep last season. Uh, didn't look good trying to track the football into his hand. So I, I think he's got a lot to prove. I think he's dead on with Quez Watkins, and he's going to be a slot guy. And I think the Eagles want to get him on the field a little bit more because they need better athleticism than Greg Ward. So I, I would say potential is the best word, and you used it. Uh, but, yeah, I got to see it first, Jody. I got to yeah. see it. Uh, when I when I asked the question to Mike, I specifically wanted to put names out there and see how he reacted. I put all of the four guys who are returning to that room into the conversation. I was not surprised he left J.J. Arcega-Whiteside out because he's been here a little bit longer and yeah. has had more chance to prove it and has not done that. Uh, the others are all younger. And I was a little surprised that he didn't mention Fulgham at all. Not surprised he skipped over J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Instead, he, he specifically broke down and referenced last year's two rookies in Watkins and Hightower. Travis Fulgham was, for me, sorry, Jalen Rager fans, the best wide receiver the Eagles had last year. He was certainly the most productive, came in 
in midseason, immediately made plays. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. I understand from a Howie Roseman or organizational standpoint, there's going to be a leaning toward a guy that you acquired via the draft, that if you committed a draft pick to a player, you're going to want that player to succeed because it makes you look good. That's someone that you thought was going to be able to make your team and you want to see him play. Fulgham, they got off the scrap heap. He was a player picked up off waivers, but credit to Doug Peterson, uh, Carson Wentz, not that he had a good season, but was ready, willing, and able to throw the ball to Travis Fulgham. That's the way I look at it. Once you put that jersey on, on any given Sunday, the coaches pick out their 53. Doesn't matter who was drafted. Doesn't matter who was picked up off the scrap heap. Doesn't matter whether you are first round, a sixth round, an eighth round, an undrafted free agent. Just go out and make plays. Fulgham did that. And I certainly have a little more confidence on him coming into the season than any of the other guys I received, uh, I, I mentioned. I don't know that Eagle fans feel the exact same way as me. I don't know that you feel the same way as me. If you put Devontae Smith up top because he was a first-round draft pick, even if you want to put Rager number two because he was a second-round draft pick, even though for me he was underachieving and underwhelming in his first year in the league. Well, he's a first should be no pick. worse yeah. than third, shouldn't he? Um, potentially. Um, look, I I think that because of the way the Eagles roster is formulated, no matter what Nick Sirianni has said, and I asked him the question, he's blowing a little bit of smoke up people's you-know-what. Uh, Devontae Smith is going to have to play the, Z, the X position. Uh, in theory, Jalen Rager would be the Z. So the Z is off the line of scrimmage. That's the flanker. The X is the split end. That should be Travis Fulgham. That should be J.J. Ortega-Whiteside or a receiver with that kind of size, but they're probably not good enough. Then you have the slot receiver, which is penciled in as Greg Ward, but I think you have to go more towards Quez Watkins, as I said, to get more athleticism on the field. So I think the plan is for Smith and Rager and Watkins uh, to be the three receivers and 11 personnel. We'll see how that shakes out. It doesn't necessarily fit great, as I mentioned. You know, if you're Jalen Hurts and it's third and seven, I talk about this all the time, you know, one of the easiest conversions, if you can do it, Aaron Rodgers would be the best example of this, is that back shoulder. It's impossible to defend. And it's impossible to defend when you have a receiver that's big and physical, like an all Sean Jeffrey was when he was healthy, Eagles don't have that in theory unless Fulgham or J-Jaw get in the lineup and, and develop. I get what you're saying about Fulgham. There was a month stretch where he was amongst the top receivers in the league from a production standpoint. I was in Pittsburgh. He had his best game in Pittsburgh. He looked like a star. Right. I don't know what happened to the kid. Behind the scenes – you hear things he wasn't a consistent route runner. Uh, coaching staff didn't necessarily like the way he went about his business. But you mentioned something, Jody. And, you know, maybe I'm a glutton for a punishment and people weren't paying attention. But when Jalen Hurts did get in late, he started to pay attention to, to JJ a little bit more. They seemed to have a better chemistry than he had with Carson Wentz. Um, he is a big receiver. Um, 
you're right. The new coaching staff doesn't have any history with them. So that could be good and it could be bad. They could say, I don't care if this guy was a second round pick. He can't play. On the other hand, I think the old coaching staff made that decision that he can't play. The new coaching staff will look at him and say, prove it. If you could do it, we'll put you out there. So I think everybody's going to have that opportunity. I think JJ's going to have it. I think Travis is going to have it. But you're right. Howie Roseman, from his perspective, he'd probably rather have JJ do it because he was the second-round pick. Agreed. And uh, Mike, uh, when he was on with us, gave us an insightful read on Nick Sirianni, a guy who had to deal with coaches. Yeah, he was honest. I I like that. As did I. And I'll give you one uh, particular area where I'm pretty optimistic. Maybe it's uh, with the eagle-colored glasses on. But when listening to Nick Sirianni and knowing his background, he's a receivers guy. He was mm-hmm. a receivers coach before he was ever a offensive coordinator. He was a former receiver himself, not the highest of levels, but a receiver just the same. And I think that's one thing that you can put your faith into the new head coach, that he's not only going to be fair in his evaluation of the wide receivers, but he's going to be skilled at it as well. He's going to be able to break down that game film and see what the wide receivers are capable of doing, what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. And I honestly believe he's going to give chances, playing time, reps, calls, uh, position in the reads, to the guys who deserve it, not just because of their draft status, not just because of their size. And you talked about the back shoulder throws and what a prototypical Z receiver is supposed to look like, X receiver, Y receiver. If you're good and you're talented and you've got good schemes and you run good routes, I think anybody who's not five foot eight can play almost any position at wide receiver in a national football league. I think that'll be a uh, a bell cow of the Nick Sirianni offense. I think he, he's already on record as saying all receivers come in all different yeah. sizes, that that's the way he's going to call it. And I think he's going to be able to pull it off with the receiving group that he has. <laughs> well, if the I, talent I, is there. I will. Yeah, exactly. I will say this, Jody. Uh, you're right. That's what Nick says. And he says that all the receivers are going to play all the positions and they're all going to be interchangeable. And we had our buddy Paul Domovich on. We've heard this before, Jody. Reporters, we've heard this before. We hear it all the time. Guys do certain things well. And one of the things I'm going to bring up my old buddy, which I get uh, criticism for, but because I had a lot of respect for him as a coach, and that's Jim Swartz on the defensive side. Now, people talk about traveling corners, and they say, well, we got Darius Slay, so he can travel with the best receiver. And Jim would say, you got to look at the back end of that. If he's moving, somebody else has got to move. Maybe somebody else is not capable of moving. Maybe somebody else is not comfortable moving. Maybe somebody else isn't good moving all over the formation from a defensive side. Offensive side, same thing. Maybe Devontae Smith is good enough to do that. Is Jalen Brager good enough to move out of his comfort level? Is Greg Ward good enough to play outside? Is J.J. Ortega Whiteside or somebody his size of Travis Bolgum? Can they play in the slot? Good luck with that, Nick. You can talk about it all you want. And Damo said this as well. 
when when you put it on the field, you got to put the guys in the best position where they're successful. Just because Devontae Smith can do it, because he's a top 10 talent, doesn't mean the other guys can do it. And that means he's got to play where the other guys can't play, if that makes sense. What you say is very fair. And uh, let me tackle both sides of the ball. First, Schwartz on the defensive side. I get it. Even if you have a corner that you like enough and are confident enough, he's the best player by far. You're going to let him cover the other wide receiver on the other team, wherever he goes. You're right. You got to look at how does that affect the rest of your defensive secondary? Are they capable of doing it? Are they good enough to do it? Maybe not. But if you are married to that, if you believe in that, if you're Jim Schwartz as a defense corner and believe, yeah, I want my best guy against their best guy, mano a mano, going to be playing a lot of man-to-man defense, which, by the way, under Jim Schwartz, Eagles played just as much zone as they did man-to-man. So Schwartz had a different philosophy than maybe other coaches would. But if that is a tenant of your defense, man-to-man coverage, press coverage on the outside, well, then that's what you need to express to your general manager. The general manager has to know that in the drafts and free agency. Here's what we need. We're going to put an extra added emphasis on flexibility. Don't go out and sign a cornerback who's a left cornerback, who's a right cornerback. Go out and get me a guy who has been on a defense that does ask their cornerbacks to travel side to side and the like. I got no issue with it. If uh, And Schwartz would say this because he didn't really believe in traveling cornerbacks. When he came here, he didn't believe in traveling cornerbacks, so he wasn't going to come here and institute traveling cornerbacks just because they decided to go out and pay big, big bucks, mega bucks to a Darius Slay. That's kind of a lack of communication between the general manager and the defensive coordinator, which surprises me because I always thought how he bend it over backwards to get Schwartz what he wanted or needed. But I think they just <laughs> felt they needed to have a, a, a CB1. And certainly Darius Slay was that. But that's what it comes down to. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now, Sirianni, we don't know yet. Will he, has he told Howie Roseman and Eagles, other than the Devonta Smith pick, uh, didn't add a ton of wide receivers. Yeah, they signed an undrafted kid from Florida. We'll see how that plays out. I don't know that we can tell yet because they had a lot of wide receivers already on the roster if that's going to be a tenant of Nick Sirianni. He did say it about Devonta Smith. I don't know if he means it about every other receiver as well. I want flexibility. Flexibility is a key to me. We know that under the last defense, flexibility was key in that they wanted players that could play hybrid safety, linebacker coverage, and the like. We don't know about our new defensive coordinator either. But flexibility, non-position, positionless football is something that the Eagles as an organization have been trending toward. Uh, You think it's going to stay the same under the new coaching staff? Yeah, I mean, everybody wants flexibility. Everybody wants versatility. That's kind of baked into it. You'd love to have corners that can play all over. You'd love to have wide receivers that can play in three different positions. 
One thing I like about, and Jim traveled Darius Slay, traveled Cortland Finnegan back in the day. When he felt he had somebody he could travel, he would travel them. However, he was just pointing out it affects other people as well. You know, Bill Belichick is famous. Everybody thinks, well, if you're going to travel your top cornerback, put him on the top receiver. No, he puts him on the second receiver to shut down, to completely shut down the second receiver. So Stephon Gilmore takes Jalen Rager out of the game, who would be the Eagles' second receiver. Then you double uh, Devontae Smith the whole game. There's a lot of ways you can go about it. Um, now, the one thing I will say about Nick Sirianni, a little, little contradictory, but I, I do think and I hope this is what he believes. You, you have a philosophy as a coach. You always have that philosophy. doesn't mean you can get all the players at once. You never have all the players you want. So you have to look at who you have and take the best advantage of what you have while working toward your perfection, and that's the guys who can move all over. I think that's what Nick says. He wants guys that can do everything. So for obvious reasons, it becomes more difficult for the defensive side of the ball. My point is he doesn't have that right now. So if he's going to play Devontae Smith all over, that's going to affect the lesser receivers, and they're not going to be as impactful and – Therefore, I think he's going to figure that out pretty quickly. And that means Devontae Smith, at least early in his career, is going to have to play a lot of X because the other receivers can't do that. And I think he's going to be able to do it just because I think he's that talented a player. Uh, Yeah, but my point is, Nick, what I'm trying to say is, no, Devontae's going to play X, he's going to play Z, he's going to play in the slot. My point is, you can't do that unless you have the other receivers be impactful in the other spots, and I don't think they can do that. It's not a criticism of Devontae Smith. He could probably play all those three positions. I'm saying the other guys become far less impactful when you move them out of their comfort zones. That's what I, That's the unintended consequence of it. But let me ask you this, um, and we have not seen Nick Sirianni – uh, as a head coach slash offensive coordinator, we know he's not the offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen is, but uh, I think it'll be a collaborative effort just like it was with Doug Peterson, and he called the place. So even though uh, he wasn't the offensive coordinator, different teams put different coaching positions and responsibilities on different guys. Uh, and we'll see the way that it shakes out with Sirianni coming up this year. Can you actually ask your wide receivers? You're describing each of the wide receiver positions and what usually is expected of those players. What type of routes they're supposed to be running. What skill sets they need to achieve in that particular position. Can the Eagles just rewrite that book and say, well, we're not going to ask our ex to do that. We're going to ask our ex to do this instead. And we're not going to have our Y do that. Instead, we're going to use the Y in this way, shape, or form. Could Nick Sirianni get a little radical and try and rethink <clears throat> what is expected from each of his wide receiver positions? Well, he could, but I mean, there's part of it. I mean, th- the issue is where you line up. I mean, that's the issue. So if you're on the line of scrimmage, in theory – especially if you have a good press corner 
on the opposite side, you're going to see some press coverage and you're going to see some difficult uh, physical play at the line of scrimmage, where if you're the Z receiver, you're off the line of scrimmage, it's easier to scheme people away from press coverage. And obviously in the slot, you're in the slot. So you have to deal with all that traffic inside, not only the slot corner, but all the linebackers, all the bodies, all the option routes. So, I mean, everybody can do something a little bit different, try to put a little bit of a new twist. But, I mean, you are limited by the fact where these guys are going to be lining up. You have one guy on the line of scrimmage, one guy who gets to be off the line of scrimmage, one guy who's inside and has to deal with all that wash, as they say. So that's why you look for certain traits for certain receivers for certain positions. Now, some are so talented they can do it all um but again that affects the other players on the field as well because maybe it's pretty evident Jalen Rager isn't an X receiver he's a Z uh and he's not going to be an effective as an X receiver so if you put him at X because you want to have Devontae at Z well that's going to affect Jalen Rager that's my only point Fair enough. For those of you uh, just tuning in to Birds 365, we were able to tell you, shoot, an hour ago, uh, that the Eagles' first game of the season has already been released. We know they're playing 17 this year, and the only one we know for sure, there is rumor that week number 12 will be against the New York Giants in New York. There's a New York reporter who uh, leaked out a couple of Giant games this upcoming season, including their first game of the year at home against the Broncos. Eagles-Giants... We'll find out for sure tonight, but it's being reported playing week 12 in New York. Week one, the Eagles are on the road, despite the fact that we got the good news that it looks like all Eagle games this year will be played to 100% capacity because the city of Philadelphia is going to lift that moratorium in June, which is well before the start of the Eagle season. Uh, We don't know what the Eagles' first home game is going to be, but their first overall game, week one against the Atlanta Falcons down in Atlanta. I think it's a good matchup for the Eagles. The Falcons, much like the Eagles, had a disappointing season last year. They were a team that found ways to lose, sort of like the Eagles. Uh, But the Falcons, maybe even more so, blew a couple of very big leads this past year. They, too, much like the Eagles, are going with a new coaching staff. If you look at the teams the Eagles are supposed to play, and you said, well, we want to get off to a good start, I don't know that there are too many teams that I would rank above the Eagles uh, as winnable games. Let's put it that way. How winnable a game is week one in Atlanta on the road? Yes, tricky because it's on the road. And oh, by the way, Atlanta's already there. They've already got capacity, full capacity yeah. crowds. Uh, they're ahead of the Philadelphia area on the curb of being able to let people back in uh, because of the coronavirus. How winnable a game is week one versus the Falcons in your eyes, John? No, a lot of uncertainty, Jody, as you mentioned. I mean, we talk about Nick Sirianni. Well, Arthur Smith is in Atlanta. He's a new rookie head coach. So, you know, we don't know what we're going to see from the Atlanta Falcons. We do know uh, he was one of the hot candidates uh, in this uh, coaching cycle. The Eagles were very interested in him early in the process, but we're kind of behind the eight ball as far as timing because they fired Doug Peterson so late. So he was one of those guys deep into the process and 
Uh, the Eagles never really had an opportunity, but they would have loved to have, uh, I think, you know, talked seriously with Arthur Smith. So very well-regarded offensive football coach, and we're going to see, you know, he's got some weapons. We talked about it in the first segment. Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Now you add Kyle Pitts, the so-called unicorn, Philadelphia area kid, who is that, you know, no tight end in the history of this game has ever been drafted higher than Kyle Pitts. That's a tough narrative if Kyle Pitts goes for 8 and 110 on week one, Jody. Correct. And I guarantee you that the uh, Atlanta Falcons will be playing a one-back system. I don't even know if they have a fullback <laughs> on their roster. But when you've got Julio Jones... Might be Cal- five wide receiver spread. Yeah. Right, and Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage. Oh, by the way, they could be in some 12 uh, uh, positions as well because uh, they do have two pretty darn good tight ends in Kyle Pitts, who we expect to step in and be the starter in uh, week number one. Um, But also Hayden Hurst, a pretty good veteran tight end uh, coming in for Baltimore. Um, So they're going to throw the ball all over the lot. On paper, I don't love the Falcon running game, but – Uh, There was a lot of speculation that at number four, the Falcons could go one of three ways. They could trade out and uh, get a ton of picks because somebody might want to trade in to take a quarterback number four. They could take a quarterback themselves and know it's a turnover process. Matt Ryan for at least one more year, if not two, before they turn over. Or they could stay and use the pick. That's exactly what they did in taking Kyle Pitts. So Matt Ryan is theirs. This year, probably the year after, don't know when the Falcons will be turning over their quarterback position. I still think Matt Ryan is a a top half of the NFL quarterback. At one point, he might have been a top five quarterback. Uh, Well, well, let me make it a question for you. You call Matt Ryan a top 10 quarterback in the NFL coming into this season? I do. I do. I mean, this guy is a borderline Hall of Famer. If they win that Super Bowl, he's going to the Hall of Fame. Um. And, you know, I I don't agree with stuff like that because if you look at, you know, Eli Manning, for instance, uh, he he won two. He had great playoff runs. You you talk about the Tyree catch. You talk about the Asante Samuel missing the interception. You know, if if razor thin things like that go in a negative direction and Eli Manning makes some runs but doesn't win Super Bowls, He's not a Hall of Fame quarterback, statistically. No, he's not. Matt Ryan is. Matt Ryan's a Hall of Fame quarterback. But, you know, they blew the big lead. Um, Kyle Shanahan gets a lot of you-know-what over that as well. Uh, He played pretty well in the game, by the way, overall. Uh, He's 35 in an air. I think he he turns 36 uh, this week, and I know that because he's got the same – birthday as as my mother god rest her soul uh and he's an excellent kid as as well he's an area kid but you know jody as tom brady and drew Brees have proven you can play in the modern game late into your career i think that's where the falcons decided you know what we could draft justin fields or, or Trey Lance before it became clear he was going uh, a spot earlier. Those guys aren't going to be ready to play early in their career. We got a really good quarterback. 
He's only 35. He's going to be 36, as I said, this week. Uh, he's got at least two or three years at a high level left in him, especially with those receivers, and maybe three or four. So why bother going the quarterback route when you're not going to be able to get a quarterback who's as good as Matt Ryan, especially early in the process? Um, I like their decision. I like the quarterback. I think he's underrated. Uh, yeah, I think he's bottom level top 10, but I think he's top 10. I think he's right probably 9 or 10. If, I know. was, and that's the word I'm choosing to use because I mean it. I was a huge Matt Ryan fan. Matty Ice, Philly kid. I certainly rooted for him in that Super Bowl, which unfortunately they coughed up the lead. Not Certainly not all Matt's fault, and he wouldn't be even near the top of the list for me as to why they gave up that big lead that they had against the Patriots. But I saw some Falcon games last year. I did see some erosion of the talent. I think father time is catching up to him. It's so difficult to do now these days in the NFL because Brady's Brady, and he's rewriting the book on how we expect quarterbacks to age in this league. He just keeps beating father time. Yes, father time I know is undefeated, but Tom keeps extending the, the, the battle year after year after year after year. Most quarterbacks hit that mid-30 range, and you start to see a little bit of a drop-off. And I thought I saw that last year in Matt Ryan. And uh, I don't know if it was just well, a bad year. I, by the way, Jody, I agree with you. When I said Tom Brady, there's been some erosion in his talent. He's not the same guy physically. He's just figured out ways to be successful. There's no question at 36, Matt Ryan isn't the same at 26. I mean, but you can play in the modern NFL late in your career. We've proven that. They protect quarterbacks. Um, it isn't the same as it used to be where you're taking the enormous punishment. Um, so he's going to have to find different ways. Uh, certainly he's not going to be the same physically, but I think he's a smart enough quarterback to do that. And I think long-term, I think – I always say to myself, you know, people criticize quarterback. That's all they do. They say, well, he's not Patrick Mahomes. Well, nobody's Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady's not Patrick Mahomes. Nobody's Patrick Mahomes from a physical standpoint. So you can nitpick everything. Bottom line is, can you do better? Can you do better than Matt Ryan? Probably not. Probably not. So you might as well try to maximize it as long as you can. And I think that that's what the Falcons decided. I think it was the right decision. And I think they'll try to do that. And they have the pieces in place from at least a receiving standpoint. Offensive line's got to get better. They need to get a running game. But they can, they're going to be able to throw the football. No question about that. And Matt Ryan did throw it last year. Had a pretty good year still putting up uh, the numbers. All right, quickie on just week one. This is a question I will be asking John McMullen every single week leading up to every single Eagle game played. But let's do it way, 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 way ahead of time for week number one. Jalen Hurts is going to be starting quarterback of the Eagles. The Atlanta Falcons defense is what it is. It's overturning because we've got a new defensive coordinator because they've got a whole new coaching staff so we can look at players that are there and try and figure out what I what we think they're going to do. A or B? A being Jalen Hurts is still a wet-behind-the-ears quarterback. 
He's got good size, but he hasn't proven it. He's a guy who can just stand back there and make plays in the pocket. He's more of, at least as per the collegiate career in the first four games, uh, a guy who can make plays out of the pocket. Do you think the Atlanta Falcons come into week number one saying our job is to keep Jalen Hurts in the pocket and try and collapse it? Or, no, we want Jalen Hurts out of the pocket. We want to see if we can get him to make a mistake. He does put the football on the ground a little bit. Aggressive after Jalen Hurts week number one or containing week number one out of the Falcon defense? My theory is really early in the process, people are going to try to keep him in the pocket and say, look, if you can beat us from the pocket, beat us from the pocket, and we'll take our chances. Uh, ultimately, if he can change that narrative, uh, people will start to shift and adjust. But I do think early on, people know. People look at Jalen Hurts, and they know he can extend plays. They know he can do what he can do with his legs. He can... You know, he's so incredibly strong, as Kerryon Johnson mentioned to us yesterday when he spoke to us on Zoom. Uh, you know, he, he's he's doing 450 pound deadlifts. You know, he's incredibly, incredibly strong. Um, what he can't do and what people say consistently is throw from the pocket. So NFL defenses are going to force him to prove that. So I think early in the season – not just Atlanta, but everybody, until he proves he can do that consistently, defensive coordinators will be saying, keep him in the pocket, force him to throw the football from the pocket. Let's see if he can do that. This is a topic that we will agree on. Mr. McMullen and I see both uh, this one exactly the same. All right. We're going to take a quickie time out here on Birds 365. Coming up next, we will be joined by former NFL executive general manager of both the Saints and the Miami Dolphins. He did many of an NFL draft over the year. We'll hit some Eagle roster building and the just past Eagles draft questions with Randy Mueller here with us. I'm Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Good day, everyone. It's Krause of Jacob Media. Why am I wearing a Carson Wentz NFC East Pro Bowl jersey? Well, it's the only jersey I will not be able to give away this season, but we will be giving away 10 Devontae Smith jerseys at our 2021 NFL schedule release Special broadcast, all presented by Pure Bull. The broadcast will be Wednesday night, 8 p.m. to midnight. You must be subscribed. You must be present to win. And we'll give away 10 Devontae Smith jerseys. Also, as we get closer to the season, tickets for every single game on the schedule, both home and away, plus our bus trip and experiences for fans that you will never find anywhere else all part of the jacob media network see you next time everybody welcome to the wildwoods the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all catch a wave take a nap go for a drive grab a bite it's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Jody Mag. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Appreciate you tuning in here to Birds 365, McMullen and McDonald. Hanging with you. Big day on the NFL calendar. Schedule release day. We already know the week one matchups. We'll get the rest of them later in the day. We surely want to continue to talk about that. But also, uh, big time in getting the season ready for the Eagles. The NFL draft just taking place. Free agency still ongoing, but certainly slowed down. We want to get a uh, pro's insight as to how the Eagles are going about getting their roster ready for the upcoming season. Guy who's done it for years in the National Football League is an executive former general manager of the Dolphins and the Saints. Randy Mueller joins us here on Birds 365. Randy, thanks for hopping aboard. Hey, guys. Good to be with you. Yeah, and Randy, for those who don't know, uh, former executive of the year, so he's done it at a very high level. His brother, Rick, by the way, also was a personnel executive with the Eagles for about five years, I'm guessing five or six years. So, Randy, first question I want to ask you, as a former GM in this league, especially in this year, where it was obviously the pandemic affected the salary cap, goes down for the first time in history. If I were uh, an owner and said, okay, we got to move on from a quarterback, and that's going to be 16, I think 16, almost 16.5% of your salary cap that's already scaled back. How historic would that be? Sixteen and a half percent. That would be crazy. That's for sure. I would. The band is playing. Who to thunk it? Right. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, one of those things where there's no chapter in the GM book for this part of the the uh, on the job training. That's for sure. So teams have been challenged. They've been strapped. It's you know they. The one thing about it is, I'd say this: they knew it was coming. So a team like the Saints, for example, that had to trim almost a hundred million dollars, they knew it was coming at last summer. So they, mm-hmm. they had a plan and they were able to execute it pretty good. So I think they're, you know, uh, kind of the poster child for, for making this work. We'll see this fall what kind of job they've done. I think they've got a frontline team. I think it where you'll see it is the, the erosion of depth around the league. That's been hard because there's been a lot of backups, a lot of guys that weren't vital that were put on the street because of the cap. Let me ask you about it. I don't want to go specifically Saints, make it a generality question, but if we use the Saints as an example, that's fine. When you're faced with something like that, when you're expecting the cap to be higher and something like a pandemic comes in, you can treat it one of two ways. Either you can say, we're going to rip the Band-Aid off, we're going to eat all these bad contracts, we're going to take dead cap money hits, and we'll be better for it next year, or... You can do the renegotiation thing and try and spread it out 
over a period of time, can how do you make that decision? Which way you're going to go? Is, are you capable of doing a little bit of each? Is there a little from column A and a little from column B? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think somewhere in the, the truth always lies in the middle for me. I think you've got to reduce some deals. You've got to take care of some players at the same time. You know, you're trying to keep your best players, right? That's your goal. You always want to keep your best players when you're team building. I always find it difficult when a new regime comes in and can't wait to run off players and get their own guys. Well, it's easier said than done than replacing those guys. That's for sure. So I think it's, it's, um, People have used different models around the league. I mean, as you guys know, how he uses his model, um, Bill Belichick's model this year was totally different in that he had saved some cap space. Um, I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but he was able to use that in a big, deep talent pool that's never been there before and sign a ton of free agents. I mean, he signed and, and spent the money, mm -hmm. and, and we all saw it in February. Uh, we never would we never would have thought we'd see Bill in, enter into this free agency like he did, but I think it was for good. It was for a good reason, and it was good timing on his part. So we'll, again, we'll see the fruits of everybody's labor come this fall. Um, I think some teams, you're right, did take take the time to bite the bullet, right, and get rid of some bad contracts and just try to make a case that hey, we're going to have a hiccup this year. We'll see. I just think everybody's philosophy has, has been different, and it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out when we get to the fall. When you talk about templates, Randy, for building rosters, obviously there's not one. There's not one way to do right. everything. But I, I do think everyone would agree it's pretty obvious. Uh, the goal for just about every team in this league is to get the quarterback. And right. um, it seems recently uh, – teams are willing to give up a little bit more quickly on, on high-profile quarterbacks. New York Jets, Jody's a big Jets guy. They're drafting a right. quarterback in the top five. A couple years later, they're drafting another quarterback in the top five. Do you see a big shift in the league over the past few years saying, okay, we're willing to turn over at the game's most important position a little bit more quickly? And is that a good thing? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a valid point. I do think teams are more willing to swing and miss. They're, they want the bat off their shoulder. They're going to go down swinging. And we saw that with the Rams giving up on their guy. We saw it a little bit in Philly, you know, with, with Wentz passing uh, the torch, uh, you know, and moving over to Indy. So I think, yes. And, and I would have said going into this, there's no way teams will eat $30 million in cap to get rid of a quarterback. That sounds ludicrous to me. Well, be careful what you wish for because it actually happened. I think it's a it's a – it's a tough um, position to be in because eventually these quarterbacks that we all want are going to be making $35, $40 million a year. Like you said, there's been no team to make the Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl with that kind of cap commitment to a quarterback. So I think the poster child for that this year might be Baker Mayfield, right? The, we all think the Browns are better. He had a good year last year. He's due for a raise here at some point. Is he going to go from where he's at up to that 40, 45 million now out of, out of, and, and really hinder the rest of your team building around him? I think that's a philosophical discussion that everybody's having now in NFL offices. Is, it, is the quarterback salary too much at some point? Randy, uh, let me give you a hypothetical here uh, because it happened in reality, but I'm going to make you the general manager of another team in the league. It becomes obvious Carson Wentz becomes available. The asking right. price is what it is. It's going to be about what the Colts ended up playing, 
but you have to make the commitment that Carson Wentz is your quarterback. If you were the GM of a team that didn't have a given at the quarterback position, would you have taken a shot on Carson Wentz? Would you have paid the price in draft capital that it took to get Carson Wentz? Do you think he gets it turned around with another team after a historically bad season last year? Yeah, I think I definitely would have making, uh, taken that plunge. I thought you, you were going to go back to what you thought about Carson Wentz coming out of school for the most part. But then you've got to also analyze and get beneath the surface of what happened in Philadelphia. So I don't particularly in this case blame all, all of it on Carson Wentz. Sure, he didn't have a good year, but I think most would agree it was a, it was a season of injury for them. It was a season of I, I, let's just face it, a subpar roster, and it just didn't come together, whether some of that was coaching, whether some of that was developing the talent, or just piecing it all together. Having a team on paper is one thing, but having it really develop on film and, and as we go through an NFL season, that's a whole other thing. So I would have taken the plunge. I think Carson Wentz is going to be fine. I was not ready to give up ship for him. And I think in the Colts case, they're a team that's kind of built for the playoffs already. It's not like they're in a rebuild. It made sense to them as well. Carson Wentz would have made sense to me in, in San Francisco, would have made sense to me maybe even in L.A. but with the Rams. So the, there are, were other places as well that would have made sense for me. That's just the way I feel about Carson Wentz. I'm not ready to uh, set sail with him as, as being a, a flop, so to speak. I think he's got some good years left in him. Uh, we're talking with Randy Mueller, former NFL executive of the year. You can check out his website, MuellerFootball.com. Randy, I wanted to talk to you. You mentioned about a roster that might look better on paper. You know, I look at the Philadelphia Eagles where we are and, and Howie Roseman winning Super Bowl 52. One of the most difficult things I would think as a GM is to sort of walk that tightrope and the old adage is better to give up on a player a year early than a year late. How, when you're in that championship window, how difficult is it to see when the window shuts and you know you got to kind of turn this thing over? I think that's the hardest thing is knowing when to turn the page and knowing that the same guys that helped you win a Super Bowl may help you lose one in future years. So you've got to be willing to pull the trigger. I think it's hard because – you feel a sense of loyalty to your own roster. You feel that you you owe these guys because of what they brought to you, your franchise, your city, and that's a hard thing. And I think really the Eagles fell a little victim to that. They kind of overvalued some of their own players that got them there, and it's understandable. That's a that's a, a fine line, like you mentioned. So, you know, I think you've got to find a way to always be on the edge of looking to improve whether you're winning or not. And you can't be satisfied where you are. Look at a guy like Nick Saban, what he's done in Alabama, just every third year, you think it's a reload. Well, he, he's willing to pull the trigger and get and, and find ways to change things up within his own program. It might be building a new facility. It might be putting a fresh coat of paint on something, you know, outside just so that the guys feel different every year. And I always thought that's a challenge in the NFL to make guys feel different. We had a great year in New Orleans one year where we won the first playoff game in the history of the team. The minute we were done, I was looking to find a way to change things up, even if it was cosmetically, you know, a new locker room a new this or a new that, just so the mindset is different when those guys come back the next year so that you can get them hungry again and not worried about or thinking about the past. You want them to look forward to the challenge, and, and there needs to be a newness, so to speak. That's hard in the NFL. Randy, I need your talent evaluation skills here. Um, 
if I told you your team was able to add a Heisman Trophy winner at the wide receiver position? Hasn't been done in 20-some-odd years. Yeah, buddy's 166 pounds. <laughs> you got a wide receiver who caught 23 touchdowns this past year and over 2,000 yards. Yeah, but he's 166 pounds. Uh, are you a yeah, but guy? I am not in this case. Sometimes I think you have to be a realist. But in this case, I never thought Devontae Smith was had fatal flaws because of his weight. I think the guy's a good player. I said from halfway through last season, this is the best receiver in the draft. I even went down on that hill at the end, even though the LSU kid got picked ahead of him. I like Devontae Smith. I think he's proven that he can play at whatever weight he has in, in the SEC week in and week out. And not only that, every day in practice at Alabama. You don't think those corners give him uh, uh, everything he can ask for every day on the practice field. So he's used to his weight. He's used to people challenging him. He's used to people questioning him. I don't think that's a problem at all. And I think he's he's going to be the Eagles' best receiver. I think it comes down to, again, what the organization can put around him to give him a chance. I don't think this guy's the savior, that's for sure. But I do think he'll be a productive, really good NFL player. All right, Randy, I'm going to play devil's advocate because that's what I do on this show. Maybe it's too negative, but – I'm going to talk about positional value because I look at Calvin Johnson. I, I mean, that's one of the greatest <clears throat> receivers of all time. Number two overall pick. You're not going to do better than Calvin Johnson. Ultimately, though, what did it do for the Detroit Lions? I mean, a receiver can only do so much. Right. So when you're talking about a positional value in the top 10 of the draft, obviously quarterback, what were your other philosophies? Offensive tackle, edge rusher. Can wide receiver have the same impact on the game as those types of players? Yeah, I think you're right. And and you're you're asking a guy who picked Ted Ginn ninth when yeah. I was at Miami. So yeah. um the way it worked out then is very similar to the way it worked out this year. You can't control the quality of the players yeah. around you. So I would always err on, on a tackle or a big defensive lineman if I could, because I think big guys make the difference in this day and age. I still think you have to be able to run the ball. I still think you got to be able to stop the run in different ways. I'm not sold on the edge rusher. I think you make a lot of mistakes when you pick edge rushers because technically we don't even have that position in our starting 11, right? So that yeah. guy's got to play the run. I'm going to err on the side of I want a bigger, stronger defensive end over an edge rusher anytime, and I want to tackle if I can get it as well. And like you said, set his quarterbacks aside because I think that's a totally different thing. But you can't control, and this was a great draft for that, you can't control the depth of the draft. You can't control the quality of the premier players in the top 10, so to speak. So sometimes you just got to pick the best player that comes your way, and if it happens to be at a position of need, so be it. So I think that's the dilemma that that maybe Howie or the Eagles were faced with this year. Maybe they would have loved to have had a tackle or, or loved to have had some defensive lineman that they could bank on for the next 10 years. Those guys weren't there, so they had to take make the best of what they had. Randy, as a former general manager, I need you to explain to our listening audience, and if you can give it some context, please do so, the relationship between a general manager and a head coach. It might be the most important relationship in an entire National Football League organization, even more so than the owner with either the general manager or the coach. They have to be on the same page. They have to be working with the same purpose. Uh, if they don't, then things start to come apart, kind of like it did with the Eagles this past year when it seemed like Doug and Howie and Jeff and <laughs> Doug got off the same page. 
How important is that relationship? How do you know when it is working and is where it needs to be for your team to be successful in moving forward? Well, I think it's a great point, and, and I think it's the most important relationship. It is all about communication in my mind, but it has to start with a mutual respect. They have to respect each other. They have to understand what each other's job is to do that. I always said this, and I'll be honest, I learned this from Bill Parcells years ago he, when he had Dick Haley as his personnel guy. He said, I can go into Dick's office anytime and say whatever I want and vice versa. And when I leave or he leaves, the door shuts, we're, we're good and we move on. Sometimes you just need someone to vent to. Sometimes you need a respect factor that that you you really, two heads are better than one, right? I don't think I ever worked with a coach where I decided at the end of the day that we're going to do something where the coach wasn't on board. That, that relationship doesn't work ever. And I think if you respect the coach and understand his job, you'll never come to that, you know, fruition at the end of the day. So I do think it's an important role. But again, I think it's a respect thing, just like it is with your top players. I think the, re the respect you get from your top players in that locker room and vice versa filters down through the whole organization. And I think that's maybe what we're seeing in Green Bay right now is not the respect factor that I think should be there. But you hit it on the head. I think that the head coach and the GM working together is the only way this thing can happen, especially with all the amount of changes you have to make to your roster year in and year out nowadays, the way the cap is and the way the NFL team building model is set up. All right, you went down that road, so I'm going to go further down it, uh, Randy, with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers because that's a superstar player. I mean, that is the superstar player. That's the MVP of this league. That's the best quarterback in football. As a GM, and obviously Brian has taken some hits from Aaron's camp and uh, at least some whispers, how difficult is it to deal with a superstar player like that? Uh, you, you have to keep him happy at all costs? I think you definitely, again, I go back to the communication factor. I just think it's a it's a thing that, it, let's just face it, communicating is hard, whether it's in our own home, whether it's in our with our kids, whether it's with relationships, it's all the same, right? Communicating is hard. And I just think in that case, they underestimated the, the power of communication with Aaron. And I think it, not to fault Brian totally on it, because we all know Aaron's difficult, right? I, I mean, we, mm -hmm. we'd have to admit that. But I do think you know that going in. You have to cultivate that relationship all the time. I think, again, there's got to be give and take and trust involved. And I think that's all been broken in this case. I don't know how they fix it, but it's a hard, it's a hard one. Um, you see it happen, it happen in a little bit in the offseason in Seattle with Russell Wilson this past offseason. And now they seem to have patched it up a little bit. So... You know, who knows how that's going to work out, but it's it's a trust factor that as a GM, I used to kind of stay out of the locker room, right? I never wanted to, to invade the, the player's space. But having said that, I was at every practice. I loved to visit with those guys on the sidelines, and it didn't have to really be even a verbal communication. It was nonverbal. It was body language. It was gave you a chance to really know the pulse of your team. Players know players. Players also know if you what you're doing is right or wrong. They get it. They've been through this before. So I think you can learn a lot from, from communicating with your players. I just don't know if that's happened in Green Bay quite enough, and I think that's probably why we're where we're at. All right. We'll take you to a uh, walk down memory lane. Uh, communication being as key as it is. Communication between a general manager and a coach. Certainly the communication between coach and player yeah. is huge. But general manager play, not as much, but it is having a major influence in Green Bay right now. 
Who is the individual? Could be a coach, could be an owner, could be a player that you had to work the hardest you ever worked to make sure communication stayed on point, that it was just heavy lifting with that individual to do what you needed to do to have the open lines of communication. Well, I would say this, and I spent a couple of years with Nick Saban in Miami, right? And we all know what kind of a person he is and how he runs his ship. Disciplined, detailed, everything about it. But if you understood the goal at the end of each day, you understood he only cared about us getting better. I think that was a hard one for me, mainly because I had spent 25 years in the NFL. So I had a pretty good base. And Nick came in with the idea of, of exactly how he wanted things. So it took us a while to meld our thoughts. It took us a while to meld our communication. Some of it was just technical, right? Nick was a little bit older than me. He wasn't a texter. He wasn't an email guy. So I spent a lot of time waiting outside his office to meet with him face-to-face, if you will. That, that bogged a lot of my time down. And his wife uh, used to always say, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? I said, well, you can teach him how to email or teach him how to text. <laughs> <laughs> that would have helped me a lot. But, you know, it is what it is. And, and I, I, I chuckle now when I, when I read and hear about Nick being able to text. So um, <laughs> that, that, that bogged us down a little bit. But nevertheless, there's nothing like face-to-face communication. That's what he was comfortable with. And it worked good for us in Miami during our two years together. All right, let, let, Randy, let's talk about communication in the war room, because I'm sure you saw the kerfuffle between uh, <laughs> I, I, Howie and, and Tom Donahoe, which yeah. I think was overblown. Yeah, But it happens all the time. Rick was in, you know, the Eagles war room with, with Howie. Uh, is, is, am I wrong? Is, is that overblown? Does that kind of disagreement happen? Or is it just as simple as somebody's got to know the cameras in the room and hold <laughs> off before you start arguing? Yeah, I think it's a style. I think it's it's maybe Howie's style. I have never been one to celebrate a draft pick anyway. Yeah. I have never been one to give out kudos in a draft room. Here's the other side of that. You've got a bunch of players out there watching every move you make as well. Do you mm-hmm. think Aaron Rodgers still has in his mind in that vision of Brian Kudekist and the coach celebrating when they traded up to acquire uh, Jordan Love, I'll bet he does. He saw them pump their fists. And I'm thinking he thinks, wow, they're, they're celebrating getting the guy who's never played a down of football ever. He has no yeah. sweat equity with our team. So I always see it. There's a different side of all of these reactions, right? It's an equal uh, kind of toxic reaction on the other end. So I'm not much for, for circling the room, high-fiving people and calling attention to ourselves. I, I always felt like as soon as we made a pick, we're on the clock for the next one. So let's get to work. You're going to have those things. If you're willing to put yourself out there, everybody knows there's cameras now, right? If they say yeah. they don't, that's that's baloney. Everybody knows there's going to be a camera. They go through all of this information and all of these camera setups and, and public access the decision makers know exactly where all this stuff is. So you take that risk. And I get it from Tom's standpoint. I was in a lot of draft rooms where I wasn't thrilled with the pick either. And and I tried to limit discussion on draft day for that reason. If we don't have this out and have all of our discussion, the hay in the barn, so to speak, a few days before, don't bring it up to me on draft day. Let's don't get pissy on draft day because we're, we're, we're on this together. And I just think that's a discussion for another day. It, it, it sometimes manifests itself on draft day because emotions get involved, but that's the risk you take. I just think you've got to be more aware if you're Howie of all that stuff and that you have to understand everybody might not be 100% on board with every decision you make. That's just life. 
Randy loved the phrase sweat equity. One of my favorite phrases when it comes to uh, football. Um, let me take you to today. As a former general manager, you know it's schedule release day. You're waiting like everybody else. Maybe you get a little inside information. You get a game or two at a time. But you don't have the schedule till everybody else is going to get the schedule. Right. What's the first thing you're looking at? Is there a specific thing that you're going to learn when you get the schedule that you say, I, I got to know this because I got to react to this. I got to see if we're good to deal with this. What's the first thing you look at when you get your team schedule? I think you, as a GM, you're just like the fans. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what you're going to do to control it. I find it is interesting, and I always couldn't wait to get it. I was probably looking for three things. One, how we start the season, the first two or three games where we're at how we end the season, if we can end at home with three of our last four, and then how many Monday night games or national TVs games are scheduled where it's going to alter our schedule, a Sunday night game or a Monday night game or a Thursday game, or in some cases, a Saturday game back in the day. So I always look for the schedule altering games so we could plan it. Maybe there was, for us, all my years in Seattle, we always had kind of hoped for two games in a row on the East Coast, so maybe we'd stay back there the whole time. So things that might affect your you know, your travel schedule and things like that. But for the most part, hey, like Yogi says, we can only beat the teams on our schedule when we play them, right? We got yeah. 16 games. Now we got 17 games. So we'll see how it works out. I'm anxious to see it just like everybody else. But I don't know that there's a, a defining thing that you find in that schedule that's going to send you back to the drawing board as to how you're going to build your team or how you're going to put your field, team on the field in August. Randy, last one from me, and thanks for joining us. Former League Executive of the Year. Check him out at MuellerFootball.com. I do want to talk to you. You were in Seattle for a number of years as well. That is one of the most difficult places to play uh, in the NFL. So loud. Last season, that didn't come into play. I think there were a lot of teams like Seattle, New Orleans, Minnesota, Philadelphia here where we are that were really affected by empty stadiums. Fans are going to be back, back to business. How much of a difference does that make for a team to have, especially a team like Seattle, like Philadelphia, that has such a significant home field advantage? Well, I think it's definitely reflective of your defenses, that's for sure, because I think there's no harder place to get off the ball than, than like you said, at Quest Field in Seattle where, where noise is an issue. Same in Philadelphia, same in New Orleans. Some of these places where defenses have, have made a living on sacking quarterbacks and making things hectic for, for offenses, I, I think this proved it out that more road teams won last year than ever before. So it's just the way it equaled out the home and homes, right? And now yeah. I think you're going to go back to seeing some advantages for home games. We pretty much had to write that off last year. Yeah, that was still an inconvenience for travel, but having to not have to put up with the noise of a visit or a home team, if you're the visitors, that's a game changer. And you saw completion percentages higher than ever. You saw sacks lower. You saw a lot of numbers that back that up. So I think for the good of the game, obviously it's, it's fun to have the fans involved. I think you can plan a little better. Um, I think you build your team a little differently. If this were to to extend over a long period of time where there's no fans, I think the the impotence of the the way an edge rusher can affect the game is dissipated, right? Because the mm-hmm. get off the get off is a big thing, and that tackle can't get out of his stance quite as fast if if he's having to if he can't hear anything around him, can't even hear himself think. So I think that'll be the fun part about it. I think preseason coming back. Obviously, we know there'll probably be three, maybe maybe less preseason games. But when teams 
when GMs are building their team, preseason games mean a lot. And so those that factor wasn't there last year. Teams were built really on paper. You didn't get a chance to see anybody play football, right? And so I think for the good of the game, um, when you put your teams together, I'd obviously rather see them playing football than just in, in shorts and helmets in practice. So a lot of different variables. I think we'll all be happy to get back to normal, that's for sure. Randy, I appreciated the answer that you gave my question about um, what's the first thing you look for when you get the schedule. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a follow-up, and I'm going to ask you to be 100% honest with us. Not that you haven't been. I think you've been very <laughs> honest in all your answers, but I need this one to be truly honest. When is the first time you get your hands on the schedule? Do you get out a pen and go, W, L, L, W, 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 that day, the next day, or Jody, I never did it once in my entire career. Well, I'm not going to say I never did it once in my entire career, but it really was not a factor for me. Here's the problem, Jody, in every NFL season, right? We don't get to play East Carolina. We don't get to play you know, Georgia Southern, we're, yeah. we're, we're grinding every week. So any of these teams, if you're not doing your job, they're going to come whack you upside the head. So I never really played that game of, we should win this. We should win that. I think sometimes those games are even tougher to, to, to execute because you've got to have motivation. And again, it so much depends on the health of your team from week to week and the matchups. So I just, I kind of cringe at, at people that can go through there and, and think they can pick based on a <laughs> schedule how, how a team's going to end up because it's a whole nother ball game. You get your left tackle hurt in week two, your season changes and you got to figure out a way to adapt. So that's where a general manager's eyes and, and head go. It's, it's how to manage your team once the season starts. Randy, feel free to be tuned in tomorrow and cringe with us because McMullen and I are going to go right down <laughs> I get the it. list. I get win, it. loss, win, loss. Our jobs don't depend on it. It's just yeah. uh, fun for us. I get we it. will cringe tomorrow. <laughs> I understand, and I don't blame you a bit. Those are fun things to talk about with fans for sure. We will do that tomorrow. Randy, it was great having you with us here today. Thank you very much. We will tap into you for your expertise again down the road. Thanks for joining us here today. Anytime, guys. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. Randy Mueller, ex-executive of the year in the National Football League, <clears throat> Saints general manager, Dolphins general manager, here with the Mac and Mac guys on Birds 365. All right, let's get our final timeout. Come back, put a bow on the show. Keep it tuned to Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Good day, everyone. It's Krause of Jacob Media. Why am I wearing a Carson Wentz NFC East Pro Bowl jersey? Well, it's the only jersey I will not be able to give away this season, but we will be giving away 10 Devontae Smith jerseys at our 2021 NFL schedule release special broadcast, all presented by Pure Bowl. The broadcast will be Wednesday night, 8 p.m. to midnight. You must be subscribed. You must be present to win, and we'll give away 10 Devontae Smith jerseys. Also, as we get closer to the season, tickets for every single game on the schedule, both home and away, plus our bus trip and experiences for fans that you will never find anywhere else. All part of the Jacob Media Network. See you next time, everybody. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, 
go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Jody Mag. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. Come down the home stretch of a Birds 365. Schedule release day special for us, John and I, but even more importantly tonight on the Jacob Media YouTube channel because on schedule reveal night uh, right here, we'll be broadcasting from 8 o'clock till midnight and giving away 10 Devonta Smith jerseys for you Birds fans out there. But you got to be subscribed to the channel. you got to be present watching us tonight. Shoot, you don't even ever need to turn the channel off. The middle guys will be here before you know it. Our boy no. Dan Cilio will be here with his NFL show. Right and into D. the D Gun. D back for the schedule release show. Derek Gunn. Oh, D Gun on tonight. Uh, yeah. Very nice. So be tuned for D Gun and win yourself a Devonta Smith jersey. All right, let's wrap up on this note. Um, yours truly being a jerk and asking my partner John McMullen a question he has no idea that's coming, and it's probably mm-hmm. an unfair question at that. Um, in the twenty-four hour news cycle that is the National Football League, the past 24 hours, what NFL player is probably Coach Nick Sirianni's favorite player? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know where you're going with this. Uh, Knowing Nick Sirianni, it would have to be an eagle, but obviously you're not going uh, eagle. So it's got to be an energetic, entertaining guy. What have I missed in the last 24 hours? I hope you're not talking about Tim Tebow. No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. I don't know. I don't know where you're going, Jody. You, uh, you... Did you see the quote from Teddy Bridgewater? Uh, I did not. Okay. Teddy Bridgewater, I guess, in some media availability, talking about uh, the quarterback position for the Denver Broncos this year. Okay. It's he and Mr. Locke to see who's going to be start starting. The quote from Teddy Bridgewater was, competition makes us all better human beings. I love that. I love that. And I know Nick Sirianni loves that because he's all about competition, or at least so he says. 
and I'm going to believe him until it's proven otherwise that he is going to be a competition. Yeah, player. well, I mean, carry on Johnson. You didn't have to go out to Denver. He spoke yesterday, Jody. <clears throat> Excuse me. Did he, he spoke say, did he say competition makes us better human beings? No, but he said something about competition. Read it at SI.com. I wrote about it. He said about the running back room. It makes us all better. Blah, blah, blah. So, Nick didn't even have to go outside the building to get his competition nonsense. Iron sharpens iron, Jody. I, I will uh, catch up on the carry-on, Johnson. I read it, but I forget it, so I apologize. Yeah, I don't blame you. But uh, I, I'm sure, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I think he probably said something. That's no, been, in all I, reality. Look. That's been said before. I have never heard anyone utter the phrase, competition makes us better human beings. Well, I tip my hat. And by Bridgewater. the way, when the bad human being shows up, now nah, the Aaron Rodgers, he's difficult, as Randy Mueller said. He's difficult. When he shows up, there's no competition. Yeah, None. You got, you, you, got a, you got a little bit of a point there. Sometimes you just have to uh bow to bow competition out and just hand because of uh past performance, hand a job or a position over and done with. But I, I'm a Teddy Bridgewater fan. I hope oh my. He, love him. If uh, he wins that job in Denver, I think he's better than Drew Locke. Um, if they get that Rogers guy, then yes, guess what, Teddy? There'll be no competition, big guy. You'll probably be elsewhere. You'll be competing with someone else other than in the Bronco locker room. We'll have to wait and see how that shakes out. We know the Broncos are playing week one. That will be the Giants in New York. Will that be an Aaron Rodgers game or <laughs> will the Packers? Who's the Packers playing again? Oh, um, now I forget already. Too much. Uh, let's so see I. if I can get it real quick. Uh, da, 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 da. I forget who the Packers are playing, but it's going to be a uh, 4 o'clock game on Fox. We know for sure Aaron Rodgers is going to be in the 4 o'clock window on Fox. It's only it's either going to be as a member yeah, of the Broncos. The Saints. Oh, Saints. That's right. Yeah, New Saints, Orleans. Yeah. Uh, which if no, he's not no there. Drew, no Drew Brees, by the If way. there's no Drew Brees and there's no Aaron Rodgers, Oh, I guarantee you that is not going to be the national game. And, and we they, did, did we mention, I, I know I said it to you, but did we mention the kickoff game is Dallas at Tampa Bay. The Monday night game is Baltimore at Las Vegas. That's about par for the course for the Monday night game. A good game, but not a great game. That's usually what Monday night is. And by um, the way, I'm glad there's no doubleheader on opening. I didn't like that Monday night doubleheader on opening. Yeah, but we got to hear Mike Golick do a game every single well, year. Yeah, that part was good. No other but. reason we liked hearing Mike. But, uh, yeah, only one uh, Monday night game. And the Eagles aren't in it. Eagles will be playing opening weekend in Atlanta versus the Falcons. Expected to be Sunday at 1. We're getting ready for that. And we're getting ready for all of the other 16 games. Remember, 17 games. Can't just say, well, it'll be 8-8. Eight and eight. There's no such thing as 8-8. Eight and eight. They can be 8-8. Eight eight. They got to play one more game. Are they going to be 9-8 and eight or are they going to be 8-9? and nine? Yep. We don't know until we get nine to and eight. number 18. And by the way, real quick, we got to get out of here, Jody. Eagles are showing up. Their rookies are showing up today. So we're going to have a bunch of Zoom calls with them later this afternoon. Who knows? We might even get to talk to... Jamie Newman type rookies and Trevon Grimes type rookies. So some interesting tidbits sure to come. Very nice. So uh, we'll be back to get John's take on all that tomorrow, including, yes, we will each have a schedule in our hand and we will go WL, WL, LW, 
tomorrow. What does it mean? Absolutely nothing. zippity doo But it's fun, and we'll do it tomorrow here on Birds 365. Thanks for tuning in. We'll get back with you in just 22 hours from now. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.